on that Christmas morning in 2011 when I disclosed the unprecedented event, told people that when the offering plate came by, instead of putting something in, they were supposed to take something out. I have a feeling that some people wondered if they heard right or wondered if I had lost my mind or whether perhaps the church had more money than it knew what to do with. <laughs> Fat chance. Um, I wonder if some people wondered uh, if this was a gimmick, a way to get people to come to church on Christmas morning over the protests of their children. I, I wonder if people wondered if maybe we heard about some other church in another part of the country that did this and got a lot of good publicity out of it, and we decided, hey, we could get some good publicity by doing the same thing. But the fact of the matter was, we wanted to make a point. The same point that we want to make this morning. We wanted to teach a lesson and to teach it in a way that people would not soon forget. That we give because God first gave us. That's the truth that uh, we're going to try to reinforce again this Christmas with our reverse offering. It's not unprecedented anymore, and we haven't tried to keep it a secret. In fact, we wondered if some people might come specifically because of the reverse offering. But the point is to help us all remember that we give because God first gave us. No, I did not misquote 1 John 4.19 where the apostle writes we love because God first loved us. That's what John said but it uh, can easily be paraphrased as we give because God first gave us because as John says in his gospel this is how God loved the world. He gave. He gave. And so it's fitting that on Christmas, all over the world, people mark the first coming of the Messiah by giving gifts to one another. That's a, a logical way of celebrating the gospel truth expressed in what is perhaps the most familiar verse in all the Bible. God so loved the world. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. On Christmas, God gave us the best gift that he could possibly give, and that, as the Apostle Paul says in the letter to the Romans, assures us that he will not withhold from us anything that is truly for our good, having already demonstrated his willingness to give the very best. But this giving, which is characteristic of the Christmas season around the world, is not supposed to be, for Christ followers, um, a December-only thing. This is supposed to be a year-round lifestyle. We are going to give because God first gave us. That, that's a truth that you find in various places in the Bible, including the Book of Beginnings. Back in Genesis chapter 12, we read that Abram was 
blessed to be a blessing. Chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 2, God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God promised childless Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, that he would have descendants, and that those descendants would bless the world. They would give the world the scriptures. They would give the world the knowledge of the one true God, and in the fullness of time, they would give the world the Messiah. They would be blessed along with Father Abraham in order that they might be a blessing to the world. And you know, all who, according to the New Covenant, share the faith of Abraham, who trust and obey Israel's Messiah, are part of that same covenant arrangement. We are blessed with, oh, so many promises, including the promise of eternal life at the return of the king. But it is not for selfish purposes that we have been blessed. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Not surprisingly, you find this pattern in the New Testament as well. In John chapter 20, our Lord is giving his followers, his 12 disciples, some instruction before he returns to his Father's side and ends that brief period of earthly ministry where he was physically present with them. And he says in John 20, verse 21, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We, Jesus' disciples, are sent because the Father first sent Jesus. Jesus makes his mission a model for ours. He left his Father's side with all that that entailed to enter our poor and broken world and he sends his followers out into a poor and broken world. Often, usually, at great personal cost. He left all the glory, all the honor, all the comfort, all the riches, all the praise of heaven, and sometimes his followers have to leave what is comfortable and happy and familiar and safe in order to complete his mission in the world. But there is a pattern here, isn't there? We are sent because God first sent his son. The Apostle Paul picks up on this pattern of God first and then our responding. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The apostle and his ministry colleagues had experienced affliction, opposition, perhaps physical illness, all kinds of troubles, and had received the comfort of God so that now they were in a position to extend comfort to others who were afflicted. 
And then the Corinthians, receiving this comfort, could carry on the pattern and pass on the comfort of God to others in their circle, and so on down through the centuries of the Christian church to our own time. When you and I comfort others because God first comforted us. You see a pattern here, don't you? One more text, the same letter, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, the longest extended discussion of giving anywhere in the New Testament. And in chapter 8, verse 8, Paul writes, uh, trying to motivate the readers to give generously, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Notice that Paul motivates Christians to generosity not by discussing the pressing needs of the world, although there is a time and place to discuss the pressing needs of the world. Nor does he motivate them by reminding them that the bills have to be paid, although there's a time and a place for reminding the church that the bills have to be paid. Rather, Paul motivates generous giving by reminding his readers of how much God in Christ has already given to them. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, the prince of heaven, surrounded by adoring angels, with the world, literally, at his command, became poor. Born in a stable. Cradled in a feeding trough. His entire life never had a home that he owned an itinerant preacher who at his death had nothing but a robe and they took that from him. He became poor to enrich you and me. Now we know from the context of the Bible as a whole that our richness is primarily spiritual. But Paul does not over-spiritualize this matter because after all he is talking here in 2 Corinthians about a financial offering and so he reminds his readers that all they have is gift. And as God gave us, we now give others. And toward the end of chapter 9, he says, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We give because God first gave us. And I hope what we do this morning, what we did 11 years ago, will help you remember that. <laughs> In a few minutes, the ushers are going to pass offering plates filled with $10 bills. And you're going to be taking one of those $10 bills Everybody, if there are four people in your family, four people take a, a $10 bill out. Um, it's your money, no strings attached. 
You can do with it whatever you want, but we hope that you will give it. Creatively, if possible, but generosity is more important than creativity. And um, we look forward to seeing how you use this money, how God prompts you to give because he first gave to you. And, and maybe someday you'll have a conversation that goes something like this. You'll say to somebody, hey, you remember that year 2022 where in church they did a reverse offering? And the other person will say, uh, no, I missed that morning. Yeah. <laughs> now, why did they do that? And you'll say they wanted to make a point. They wanted to make the point that we give because God first gave us. The other person will say, well, all right, interesting. What did you do with the money? And maybe you'll say, well, I put it in the kettle for the Salvation Army. Or maybe you'll say, uh, I bought a book for somebody who I knew would appreciate it and gave it to them as a late Christmas present. Or maybe you'll say, I added a few bucks of my own and got somebody a subscription to a Christian news magazine for 2023. Or maybe you'll say, well, I just slipped that $10 bill in somebody's pocket when they weren't looking. Or maybe you'll say, um, I bought some sandwiches and coffee and went down to um, Chicago and gave to street people um, a, a Christmas afternoon lunch. Or maybe you'll say, uh, I bought a poinsettia and took it to one of our homebound church members. Or maybe you'll say, I bought some ingredients and made a dinner and took that to one of our homebound uh, church members and we ate together. Or maybe you'll say, uh, well, $10 wasn't a whole lot, so my family and I put together our reverse offering and we really blessed the socks off of somebody. Or maybe you'll say, $10 is not a lot of money, so I bought a lottery ticket and uh, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> Don't gamble with God's money, and, uh, and it's all God's money. Maybe you'll say, uh, I, I put the $10 in an envelope with a Christmas tract and gave it to the waitress who's been serving me uh, all year long. Or maybe you'll say, um, I took advantage of the after Christmas sales and bought some Christmas stationery, and for weeks afterwards, I wrote notes of comfort to people who I know needed comfort. And at the end of each note, I wrote, we give because God first gave us. Whatever you do, whatever you do with this money, I hope you'll tell us. Eleven years ago, we collected for weeks afterwards stories from people of interesting, fun, happy ways and some very simple ways in which people gave what they received that Christmas morning. And uh, so in the weeks to come, we hope that you will email one of the pastoral staff or, or Terry Allen or, or that you will uh, tell us in person. And we'd love to share those stories uh, anonymously if you prefer. And none of this is so that you can boast. It's rather because of what Paul says should result when God's people are generous. He says the service that you perform not only supplies the needs of God's people, but through your generosity, what will result is thanksgiving to God. That's what we hope will happen in the weeks to come. Now let me, as I did 
in 2011 anticipate a couple of questions. Do I have to take money from the offering plate? Yes. Can I take more than one? No. Do you have to take a $10 bill? Well, we can't force you, of course. But we hope that you will participate in this unusual experience. We hope that um, God will help you learn a lesson from it. You may feel a little awkward about it. You may wonder if you really should do this. That's okay. Breathe a prayer that God will help you learn what you're supposed to learn from this. You may not be able to answer for weeks the question, what shall I do with this money? Maybe you'll just put it in your pocket every time you leave the house and pray, God, show me if you want me to give this to somebody. It's okay. We'd still like to hear about it, even if it's many weeks later. Can you take more than one $10 bill when the plate goes by? Well, we realize that $10 isn't what it was even 11 years ago. It's not a lot of money. If it isn't enough to do what idea may already be percolating in your head or stirring in your heart, then combine with some others or add some funds of your own but live within the parameters of the experiment, won't you? Now, I realize that some people came prepared to give an offering today. If this was October, I would say, well, just wait till next week. But since it's year's end, and it will be 2023 when we next gather on the Lord's Day, um, you can give your year-end offering uh, as the ushers will have empty plates as you leave. And as Pastor Mike reminded us, uh, we have the option of designating those gifts. Undesignated envelopes go to our general fund, which is also uh, always in need. Uh, but uh, this year in particular, missions is um, experiencing something of a shortfall in its budget, and so you can designate your gift, but not in the next few minutes when the ushers pass the plates. This is not a time to add to, but to receive so that we might all learn or be reminded that we give because God first gave us. Ushers, you can prepare for this offering. I'm going to pray, and then we'll give God the opportunity to give us. Let's bow. Father, we join the Apostle Paul in saying, as he does in 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks to you, God, for what you gave us at Christmas and what you have given us throughout our lives. We are so richly blessed, even the worst off of us. And will you speak to us through your word today and through what we're about to do in the next few minutes, stirring in us generosity as we imitate you, our Father, I do pray that you'll help some of us to be creative in the way we use these gifts, but for all of us to take the, the experiment seriously enough 
that we bless someone else having been blessed by you. We love you. We know that you love us. We want to show your love, our love for you in this experience in your son's worthy name. Amen. Last time, someone who will go unnamed, but whose initials are John Patnod, um, <laughs> recommended that we collect all those crazy guesses that people made in the weeks leading up to Christmas 2011, so that we had all kinds of ideas to use every year that Christmas falls on a Sunday. I don't know, John. <laughs> But I do say thank you to an elder board and a finance committee that are willing to go along with a crazy idea like this. And thanks to you for participating. Um, let's worship by singing 256, Love Has Come. 256, and we'll stand to sing.
Now may God, who first loved us and gave his Son at Christmas, fill our hearts with love for him and for others this day and every day until the return of the King. And let all his people say, Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. God bless.